I invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15 tonight, where we're going to talk about the subject of justification, just to remind you a little bit of where we've been. We started off this series talking about our sinfulness, our need for salvation, and then how God has been planning and working for our salvation from all eternity. But then in time, He reaches down into our lives, into those of us who are dead in our sins and trespasses, and gives us spiritual life. He makes us alive together with Christ. He causes us to be born again through the life of Christ and by His Holy Spirit. And as we are alive in Christ, our first two reactions to that new life are the two sides of the same point of faith towards Christ and what He's done and repentance toward our sin. And the first product of that to God towards us is that He deems us justified, that we are righteous in His sight, forgiven of all our sins and trespasses, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and fully acceptable to Him by faith. And what I want us to do is look at this passage in Genesis 15, because when the Apostle Paul tried to understand these things and explain these things, he looked to this passage over and over and over again. When he tried to show that this has always been the way that God has dealt with men, he looked to Genesis 15 and how God dealt with Abraham, the father of the faith. And you might think of it a little bit like this. Many times when you're reading a book, watching a movie, there's some scene early on in the movie when you watch it through the first time, doesn't jump out at you as something of extreme importance. But by the time you watch it all the way through the end, you remember some scene at the beginning and you say, that was crucial. And that's what Paul has done. That's what the author of Hebrews does. That's what James does. They look back at these passages in the life of Abraham and especially this one and they say, that is crucial for our understanding of our justification, of our relationship with God. So let's read the entirety of chapter 15. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring." And a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old. A female goat, three years old. A ram, three years old. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. Cut them in half. And laid each half over against the other. 
but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good, in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And the sun had gone down and it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we praise You for Your steadfast love that binds our wandering hearts to You. We pray, O God, that You would bind them even closer tonight through these Scriptures. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This doctrine, the doctrine of justification, is meant to be like an anchor for our souls in the midst of life. Think about yourself out on a boat, in a river or the ocean or a great lake. And let's say you drive out to your favorite fishing spot or the spot where you like to go just to sit and look at all things. What happens if you pull up the motor and you throw out your line and you sit there? Your boat drifts. The current of the lake or the river of the ocean will take it and push it where it will. Or the wind, if it is strong, will push it where it will. But if you have an anchor that you put down and it digs into the bottom, into the sand and the dirt of the bottom, or lodges in between some rocks, It will anchor your boat and keep it where you desire it to be. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, looking back at this passage, he says the gospel, the doctrine of justification, especially the declaration of God to us, you are righteous through Christ. His oath, his covenant that he makes with us is meant to be like an anchor that anchors our souls. So that we will not drift. So that we will not be like the author of Hebrews talks about in chapter 2. That just drifts along with the world. Or is tossed to and fro as James says by every wave of the sea that comes along. Every new idea that comes along. But instead this teaching that our God makes us righteous in Christ. Perfectly so. Is like an anchor that will hold us. Steady in life. 
So what I want to do tonight is look at three things about this doctrine of justification. That it's by faith, that it's a declaration that comes from God, and that it's guaranteed by God. It's by faith, it's a declaration from God, and it's guaranteed by God. Let's look first. The big, the big statement is in verse 6 that hinges two parts of this passage together where it talks about the faith of Abraham is what God receives and counts to him as righteousness. So let's look first at, first at the faith of Abraham. Remember, Abraham, or here, he is still Abram. God has not changed his name yet to Abraham. Abram was a man that God had made amazing promises to. He was a pagan man who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans that God said, leave your homeland and follow me and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make you a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, to be a nation, to be this blessing, God has to give him two things. He talks about both of them here in this passage. He has to give him land and he has to give him offspring. And God makes him promises, right? He says that I'm going to give you this land from the river Euphrates all the way down to Egypt. This land will be yours. He said this before. He says it again. This is your land. Abram's been wandering through it. And he said to Abram before that your offspring will be like the sand of the seashore. Or like in this passage, the stars of the sky. God has made these amazing promises to Abram. But of course, the problem is what? Abram looks around him and everything around him cries out against these promises. He has been wandering through the land for some 10 years and yet not one square inch of real estate belongs to him. He owns nothing. He's living on borrowed land, as it were. He and his wife, who've been married for years and years and have had this promise from God of this family that's going to be a blessing, they're still barren. She is still childless. And you see the struggle of faith that is just like you and I's struggle day in and day out. That God makes these amazing proclamations and promises to us. He says to us, my Holy Spirit is in you. And yet we still wrestle day in and day out mightily with sin. He says, this is the body of Christ that I mean to be a blessing unto you and you to be a blessing to one another. And yet we find ourselves at odds with one another and struggling with one another. God declares to us, you are righteous in Christ. And yet we look at ourselves and, and the older I get, the more I see how sinful I am. And you see this tension between the promises of God and what we see all around us. Between the barrenness and the suffering and the sin that we see around us and yet these declarations of God. And we cry out with Abraham. How long, O oh God? How can I believe these things? How can I see them? How can I hold on to them? How can they be an anchor to my soul? You think about the life of Abram. I heard it said like this. That God says to Abram, I send you out. And he says, where? He says, I'll show you. 
He says, I'm going to give you land. He says, where? I'll show you. I'm going to give you children. Well, when? I'll show you. I want you to take your son after you have her. He has his son Isaac up onto the mountain and sacrifice him. And he says, why? He says, I'll show you. You see that tension, that struggle of faith. But in the midst of this, God reiterates his promises to Abram. God comes and he strengthens the faith of Abram. It's not that this is the first time that Abram, that Abraham has exercised faith. It's not the first time he's believed. But God comes to him and is doubting, like he does to Thomas, like he does to us all the time. When we read the scriptures, when we partake of the sacraments, when we come to worship, when we study the scriptures and memorize them, and he reminds us of his great promises. And he does that with Abram. He doesn't go to Abram, I've told you once, did you believe me? No, he comes to him and he says, Okay, Abram, I'll show you again. Go outside. Look up at the stars of the heavens. And imagine yourself up in Alaska. Hunting in some far desolate place in the tundra. And you're camping at night. And you look up at the stars. There's no lights of the city around you. The campfire is low. And you look up and the stars in the sky are more than you could ever imagine. This is what Abram's seeing, right? And he looks up at these stars and God is saying to him, this is what your offspring will be like. This is what I'm going to do for you. And Abram believes in at least two things. He has faith in at least two things. He First, he believes in the power of God. As he sees these stars, he contemplates God made these. God holds them there by the power of His hand, by the power of His Word. So though I look at my wife and I look at myself and I see that we are way beyond the years where we might have children, though I look around me and we have no land of our own, I believe that God can do this. I believe that he has the power to do this. And you and I, we look. We look at broken relationships that we have. Maybe at our workplace. Or in our family. Even with our spouse. Or with our children. Or even here in our church. God has the power to heal those relationships. He can You've been looking for work for months and months and months. And you're struggling to believe, God, do you care? Are you here? Where are you? And God says, I can. He says, like he says to Abraham, I am your shield. Fear not. He has the power, but it's not the power that's the main thing that Abram believes in, but it's the promise. The goodness of God that he will fulfill these promises. Abram sees that the main problem is that he has no children. Right? This one, this man that works in his household. Maybe he's someone that Abram loves. 
that Abram has a great esteem for. And yet it is just someone that works for him, maybe a slave. It's not his seed. It's not his offspring. It's not his heir. And God says, no, that will not be your heir. But instead, someone from your very own loins, from your very own body, will be your heir. And he uses a very uh, pregnant, meaningful word over and over again, this word offspring. And the word for offspring is really the word seed. God says, I will give you seed. Now when you say it like that, what does it make you think of? Then you're not just thinking about Abraham and his little family. You're thinking seed. That reminds me of Genesis 3.15. So this promise that God is giving to Abram, to Abraham, is not just for him. It's talking about the promises of God for how he's working in the world. Where he says in the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. You see this over and over again in Scripture, This where the, the line of the godly ones comes in danger. And the power of God and the promise of God comes there and keeps it. And that's what God is saying to Abram. He's saying, I will give you seed. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. I will fulfill my promises. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 15 to 18. He looks back at these passages. And he says that the offspring that he's talking about is not just Abram, but it's talking about looking down the line of the Messiah, of the Christ, who would come. You see, Abram's faith is the same as your faith. Abram's not some super saint. Who had some different faith than you. It's the same. His faith looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Like yours looks back to the coming of the Messiah. And it's interesting. I thought about it. We're about 2,000 years from the coming of the Messiah. Abram was about 2,000 years from the coming of the Messiah. He looks forward those years. We look backward those years. The tension is the same. But the promise of God is the same. And when we believe in the coming seed of Christ, it becomes like an anchor for our soul. An anchor for Abram's soul is not himself. It's not his own power. It's not his own word. Rather, it's in the power and the promise of God. Now look secondly at the declaration that God makes. Abram believes the Lord. Verse 6. He believes that the Lord will do what he said he would do. And what is the product? What is the outcome of this faith? He says it's counted to him as righteousness. And this is the verse that Paul quotes again and again saying that Abram was saved just like you and I. He was justified by his faith. And this counted as righteousness is justification. That our faith in Christ, God looks at that faith and He counts it to us as righteousness. Remember that the product of the sin of Adam and Eve is death. Right? The wages of sin is death. 
But when you and I, when Adam and Eve sinned, they brought all of humanity into a state of spiritual death. So that you and I are all sinners. We're under sin. And the wages of sin is death and it's judgment and it's condemnation and it's wrath. But the promise of God comes. And he says, when you believe in that promise, when you believe in Christ, He counts it to you as righteousness. Now this is a legal term. It's as if you're standing in the courtroom of God. And though all of the evidence points towards a verdict of guilty, condemnation, wrath, judgment, He says, faith in Christ counted as righteous. That's an anchor for your soul. That you know that if you have faith in Christ, That if you stand before God right now, though that you know that in yourself you are a sinful person deserving the verdict of guilty, death, condemnation, He looks at you and He goes, righteous, holy, blameless, accepted, eternal life. That's an anchor for your soul. He doesn't do it for anything that Abraham has done, right? He says it was his faith was counted to him as righteousness. God is not saying, okay, Abram, I'm glad you believed and I've looked at your life and I've, I've put all your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds. I put, you know, your, your uh, following me out of your land. I put how you went to battle to rescue Lot. I've not put, and I put other things on this scale and then I put over here the negative things you've done, how you gave your wife over to Pharaoh. How in the next chapter you marry Hagar instead of believing my promise. I've not put those things on the balance and said you come out good. He says, I've credited to you. Your faith in Christ, your faith in the coming Messiah, I've credited to you as righteousness. Now you and I ought to think, how can he do that? How can he just forget all that stuff that he's done, all this sin how can he just say i'm not going to worry about that and i'm going to credit to you as righteousness and that brings us to the last part of the passage the guarantee of god the guarantee of god this covenant that he makes with abraham this is very foreign stuff to you and i let me recount it briefly to you abraham comes again and he goes uh, in verse eight he says oh lord god How am I to know that I shall possess this? How am I to know that you're going to make good on your promises? And God says, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you, a contract with you. Now, when you and I, we make a contract, we go down to, if it's a big deal, we go down to the lawyer's office. And there's a person there who witnesses it. And we all sign and has in there things that if you fulfill the contract, you get these blessings. If you break the contract, there are these penalties. For both sides. That's not how they did it in Abraham's day. But instead in Abraham's day what they did. Was they would take animals. And if you wanted to make a contract. You would take an animal. And you would break that animal in half as it were. And lay the pieces of the animal on two sides. With a pathway in between. And you would stand before witnesses. And you would make an agreement with someone. Saying we are entering into this agreement. Here are the blessings. Here are the penalties. And then you would both walk through the pieces of the animal. You can just imagine all of the 
mess that's there in between all these animals, all the blood and all the rest. And they walk through it and they say, may it be to us, may it be to me if I do not fulfill what I say I'm going to fulfill. And this is what God does with Abraham. He calls him to do this. He reiterates again the promises in verse 13 and following. Know for certain that your offspring, and he tells him what he's going to do in the future, how he's going to bring them into the land. Tells them the land that he's going to give them. And then here's the amazing thing. Here is the gospel. Look at verse 17. Back in verse 12, he had caused Abram to go into a deep, deep sleep. And then in verse 17, Abram sees in a vision something like uh, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. The, the translators have a hard time with this, but they use the words that are used here are the same words that talk about the presence of God on top of Mount Sinai. The smoke and the fire and the lightning. It's a symbol of the presence of God. And what does God do? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. The presence of God passed between the pieces. Notice, Abram does not pass between the pieces. Abram goes, how do I know that you'll do this, O God? And he's expecting, okay, this is so he knows this is the way things are done, that God will pass through it, that he will pass through it, and that God will keep his side, and Abram has to keep his side. That Abram has to obey, this is the way he's thinking, has to obey and be faithful, and then God will obey and be faithful. But that's not the way God does it. God knows that Abram will never be faithful. And so God alone passes through the pieces. And says, may it be done to me if I do not keep my promises. And ultimately, the gospel is this. That God knows, even from that day, that he is going to have to be broken like those animals. And when Christ comes, that's what he does. Right? This is my body broken for you. This is the blood of my body, the new covenant that I make with you. And the guarantee that this is true, that when we believe in Christ and it's credited us as righteousness, is that the Messiah has been broken for you. He died for you. And He is your anchor. So that the words of the hymn that we started with can be true. Bind my wandering heart to you. Like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to you. Anchor it unto you, O God. And He anchors our souls in Christ to Himself. So that nothing in all of creation, not the seed of the serpent, not even your own sin, not calamity, suffering, nothing can separate you from the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Paul says all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ. He has justified you. He has made you righteous in Christ by the sacrifice of Christ.
our Father and our God. We admit that we are much like Abram, that there is fear in us and doubt and wandering. But we praise you, O God, that in Christ you have bound our wandering hearts to you. Help us to see this more and more, O God. That we might take joy in it. That we might get peace from it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.